Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. You're Michael. You're in a fancy French restaurant. You order creme brulee for dessert. It's beautiful. It's sweet. It's irritatingly perfect. Suddenly, Michael realizes he doesn't want creme brulee. He wants something else. What does he want? Jello. Jello? Why does he want jello? Because he's comfortable with jello. Jello makes him comfortable. I realize compared to creme brulee, it's jello, but maybe that's what he needs. I could be jello. No. Creme brulee. Can never be jello. You could never be jello. Have to be jello. You're never gonna be jello. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 145, My Best Friend's Wedding. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always a huge welcome back to Verbal Diorama, whether you are a regular returning listener or a brand new listener to this podcast, thank you so much for being here. Basically, no matter whether you were wishing or hoping or thinking or praying, planning, or dreaming about listening to a movie podcast, it's so great that you're here and it's so great that you're here for my best friend's wedding as well because I actually adore this movie. But before I get into my best friend's wedding, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who supported this podcast through the previous animation season episodes. So those episodes were The Transformers the Movie, Wolf Walkers, Corpse Bride, The Prince of Egypt, Grave of the Fireflies, Anastasia, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 4. And I like to use animation season to not only talk about the animated movies that everyone knows and loves, like, you know, the Disney and the Pixar output, but also the ones that people don't or that they've forgotten, like Wolf Walkers and Corpse Bride. 
Animation season is something that I do every January and February. It will return next year. But for now, I know a lot of people love animation, but I know a lot of people love live action movies as well. And so I thought I would go back to the regular live action feed of this podcast, shall we say, with a rom-com, <laughs> essentially. And how do you follow something like animation season, which brings me and so many people so much joy? And that's with a movie that also brings me so much joy. One of the greatest and most subversive rom-coms of all time. Because this is a romantic comedy that's not actually all that romantic. And we learn that creme brulee can never be jello. What actually is lower than pond scum? And that Julia Roberts is the only person who can make a character like Julianne Potter watchable. Here's the trailer for My Best Friend's Wedding. Michael and Julianne have been best friends for years. The one constant thing in my life is that he'll always be there. But they were never more than that. Call me, four in the morning, whatever, we gotta talk. Until he popped the question. I called because I met someone. To someone else. Well. We're getting married. He was in love with me every day for nine years. Me? <laughs> I can see why. Look, she has known him for, what, like five seconds? I can't lose him, George. I'm a busy girl. I've got four days to break up a wedding and steal the bride's feather. Oh! <laughs> Julianne this and Julianne that. Michael and I were a wrong fit right from the start. He said that too. George, she's toast. The only fear she really has is you. So this means that I have four days to make you my new best friend and be my maid of honor. What? Why not? You're practically the best man anyway. I just asked myself, what would Lucy Ricardo do in this situation? Who's that guy? I told him, George, <laughs> if we're engaged, well, I'd be ashamed of it, right? Something wrong. It's just a big surprise. We thought you were a lesbian. Oh! I know. We have to talk about George. You're jealous? Crazy jealous. Personally, I think Mr. Michael's marrying the wrong girl. Just tell him you love him. I, I, I realize this comes at a very inopportune time. Marry me. TriStar Pictures presents I'm the bad guy A story about finding the love of your life Do you really love him? And deciding Or is this just about winning? What to do about it I trusted you Just tell me what Why did you trust me? No, why did you pretend to be my friend? Julia Roberts oh. Dermot Mulroney And Cameron Diaz Lovely together. My best friend's wedding. Michael! That's our maid of honor. She's from New York. Oh. When Julianne's best friend Michael tells her that he met a 20-year-old college junior called Kimmy and they're getting married in four days, she realises she loves him and wants him for herself. So she sets out to break off the wedding, but things prove to be really difficult since Kimmy seems to be irritatingly perfect, like creme brulee to her jello, and while she's chasing Michael, he's chasing Kimmy. But who's chasing her? We'll quickly run through the cast of this movie. Julia Roberts as Julianne Potter, Dem Mulroney as Michael O'Neill, Cameron Diaz as Kimmy Wallace, Rupert Everett as George Downs, Philip Bosco as Walter Wallace, M. Emmett Walsh as Joe O'Neill, Rachel Griffiths as Samantha Newhouse, 
Carrie Preston as Amanda Newhouse, Susan Sullivan as Isabel Wallace, and a brief cameo by Paul Giamatti as Richard the Hotel Bellman. My Best Friend's Wedding has a screenplay by Ronald Bass and is directed by P.J. Hogan. And My Best Friend's Wedding starts, like all good rom-coms start, with a meet-cute. Except this meet-cute included writer Ron Bass. He was also responsible for Rain Man, for which he won the Best Original Screenplay Oscar in 1989, and his agent. So it's not really a meet-cute, to be honest. He was in a meeting with his agents in the early 90s when an article was brought up about a woman who found out about her old boyfriend's new marriage and immediately realised she wanted him back. Bass's reaction was, there should be a movie about a woman who'd been best friends with the guy all along, but when he announces he's getting married, she realises she's actually been in love with him this whole time. After attending the huge four-day society wedding of his friend David Brenner in Chicago, because four-day society weddings are a thing, apparently, Bass realised the two combined with a Lucy Ricardo-type figure would make the perfect romantic comedy. Basically, a long weekend where anything can happen, plus a woman causing havoc to win the heart of her best friend. The project would sit on the back burner for years, but Bass would always return to it and wrote it as a spec script. That is a script that has not been commissioned by a studio, therefore not likely to get picked up, but if it did get picked up, it'd fetch a higher price. And he started pitching this to his contacts. But despite the initial script receiving plenty of enthusiastic response, there was an issue with this script. The ending. Because in the original script, the fact the lead character doesn't get the guy in the end was a bit of an issue. Bass, though, was insistent this wouldn't be the typical Hollywood rom-com. The script would find its way to the Zucker household of Zucker Abraham Zucker, famous for Airplane and The Naked Gun, Firstly, to producer Jerry Zucker's wife, Janet Krause, who read it and insisted Jerry Zucker read it immediately. Zucker, who'd also had a huge success in the romance genre by directing Ghost in 1990, came on as a producer for My Best Friend's Wedding once Ron Bass's spec script had been sold and for a tidy sum of money too. PJ Hogan, who'd received acclaim for Muriel's Wedding, and just on a side note, he doesn't just make movies with the word wedding in, honest sat down to read Bass's script and discovered it was remarkably similar in tone to Muriel's Wedding, in that it was a rom-com with not much rom and a slightly darker edge. And it was this dark side that had attracted Julia Roberts. By that point, one of the most famous women in Hollywood after an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress for Steel Magnolias and another for Best Actress for her most famous role up to that point in Pretty Woman. She'd star in another Ronald Bass Penn screenplay, Sleeping with the Enemy, in 1991, as well as the much better than Steven Spielberg thinks it is Hook. That's episode 89 of this podcast, by the way. And then, after a brief hiatus, her career seemed to stall between 1994 and 1996, with I Love Trouble, pret Something to Talk About, Mary Riley and Michael Collins all struggling to connect with critics and audiences. My Best Friend Wedding would be a change in pace for her and a return to her rom-com roots by deconstructing the genre. As the big A-list star of this production, Roberts had an incredible amount of clout and creative oversight, and it seemed like this was a make-or-break situation for her. She'd built her career on her breakout role of Vivian, and now she was going to be the bad guy in her own story. Luckily, just as you expect from someone like Julia Roberts, she's apparently as lovely and charismatic off-screen as she is on, and when PJ Hogan met her, he was awed by her presence, her smile, and her sense of humour. Roberts shared Hogan's vision to make My Best Friend's Wedding as subversive as he wanted. 
and was committed to fully delving into Julianne Potter's darkness. Only Julia Roberts had the skill to take this unlikable character and make you still want to root for her. Reportedly, Sarah Jessica Parker had been up for the role at the very start before Roberts was considered, but despite her few box office hiccups, Roberts was still an A-lister at the top of her game, and the production very much revolved around her and her star power, and this included getting involved in casting. After the character of Julianne, the character of Michael was the next best important character to cast. He had to be a man so incredible that he could feasibly be Julianne's past boyfriend turned best friend turned love of her life. Actors in the running included Matthew McConaughey, Edward Burns and Matthew Perry, by at that point a huge name in TV after his starring role in Friends. He and Julia Roberts were actually dating at the time, but while Perry was a strong choice, the production worried about their off-screen relationship, what would happen if they broke up during production. The biggest name up for the role was Russell Crowe. PJ Hogan's wife, writer-director Jocelyn Morehouse, had worked with Crowe on proof and knew immediately he was going to be a huge star. Hogan agreed and thought Crowe would be the perfect Michael, but Julia Roberts had the final say. So a table read was arranged with the hope that sparks would fly between the two. Long story short, those sparks weren't even Kindle. Crowe read his lines in monotone, he refused to look at Roberts. After the excruciating experience, Crowe suggested to PJ Hogan that he thought the line reading had gone rather well. But unsurprisingly, no one else agreed and he did not get the part. Junior Roberts wanted Dermot Mulroney, who she adored, but Hogan and the rest of the creative team weren't sure that he was the best fit. With the casting of Michael on hold, the attention then went to the other important character, that of sweet chocolate-covered Kimmy, a character who on the surface is warm and sunny but hides a complete and total understanding of the situation underneath. My best friend's wedding needed an actor who could be both totally charming, seem naive, but also totally switched on. Actresses who auditioned included Reese Witherspoon and Callista Flockhart. Drew Barrymore was the frontrunner for a while. Model-turned-actress Cameron Diaz had her breakthrough on The Mask in 1994, but was a couple of years away from the superstardom that would come with There's Something About Mary. Truthfully, just as you couldn't imagine anyone else playing Julianne, you also couldn't imagine anyone better suited for Kimmy than Cameron Diaz. Julia Roberts would end up negotiating that if the production wanted Diaz, she wanted Mulroney, and a compromise was set upon that saw them both cast. The final piece of the puzzle was, of course, George. In Ron Bass's original script, George had just two lines of dialogue, and so when Rupert Everett auditioned and came back several times, he didn't realise why a two-line part was seemingly so tough to cast. During casting, though, PJ Hogan and Ron Bass were working on extensive rewrites to beef up the character of George, originally called Digger, realising that George was the anchor to keep Julianne looking reasonably sympathetic. George would be the angel on her shoulder, the voice of reason, and they needed someone who could embody the hilarity and humanity of the character they were rewriting. And the process of rewriting My Best Friend's Wedding wasn't entirely easy. Ron Bass had a clause in his contract that stated no one could rewrite his scripts. But after discussions with PJ Hogan, who came in with ideas to build up the character of George, Bass agreed that everyone needed to be satisfied with the script and agreed to a session of rewrites. But Rob Bass didn't write alone. He had a small team of female screenwriting consultants, affectionately known as the Ronettes. While none of the Ronettes are credited for their work, it certainly explains how the female characters like Julianne and Kimmy are so well-rounded, complex and interesting. There was no lack of female perspective in the writer's room. PJ Hogan didn't write and say where Ron Bass did and originally asked for the Ronettes to be removed from the rewriting process. 
PJ Hogan was instrumental in the advancement of the screen time for George, but he was also pivotal to the musical numbers in the movie. Obviously, he had experience with working the music of ABBA into Muriel's wedding in such a way that you can't think of Muriel Heslop without thinking of her singing Waterloo, and it brought the audience into the mind of Muriel. It was Hogan who conceived the restaurant singing along to Dionne Warwick's I Say a Little Prayer. But on a side note, having grown up and lived reasonably close to the town of Warwick here in the UK, I can tell you that Brits do not call Dionne Warwick Dionne Warwick. Warwick here is pronounced Warwick. And if you do ever visit the UK, visit Warwick. It's a lovely little town with a very nice medieval castle. Also, on a side note, she's not Whitney Houston's aunt. She is Whitney Houston's cousin. And with the I Say a Little Prayer scene, Burt Bacharach and Hal David and their music is woven into this movie. And in any other movie, this scene would be superfluous and glib or a dream sequence. But here it's cartoonish, but totally in the very capable hands of George, the sublime Rupert Everett who steals this movie comfortably. And it is a very typical gay best friend trope, but given way more depth and heart. Everett wasn't known for his comedy, having starred in historical dramas, but he nabbed the part as well as cementing a lifelong friendship with Julia Roberts. The two are still close to this day. And the whole primary cast of this movie just had a blast making this film. But My Best Friend's Wedding would be a rom-com without the rom and a sly musical to boot with versions of songs dotted throughout, including the opening number, a cover of Wishing and Hoping, Michael's younger brother sucking helium blooms with friends to sing Annie's song, The Morning of the Wedding, as well as Kimmy's rendition of I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself at a karaoke bar. It's all set up by Julianne, who knows that Kimmy hates karaoke. Cameron Diaz, who's a trained dancer, is no stranger to performing, having danced to a rendition of Cuban Pete in The Mask. And when it came to the famous karaoke scene in My Best Friend's Wedding, she was originally under the impression she would be lip-syncing to the song. So the sheer terror that you see in Kimmy's eyes when Julianne announces the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Kimberly Wallace is genuine terror on the part of Cameron Diaz. It was Dermot Mulroney who kept willing her on as Diaz performed every excruciatingly bad line of I just don't know what to do with myself in a packed bar scene filled with extras who start out jeering Kimmy and then as her terrible voice endears them to her she wins over the crowd. It also endears Julianne who despite all her scheming to embarrass Kimmy and make Michael realise how terrible she is, even ends up clapping along. And Julia Roberts was adamant that Julianne would never clap for Kimmy. PJ Hogan begged her to do one take where Julianne graciously gives up and claps along. Roberts agreed to do one take only, and that's the take in the movie. Of course, it all completely backfires for Julianne, only making Michael and Kimmy closer and Julianne more determined, proving that Kimmy might be a sweet, innocent wallflower, but she's a hardy, charismatic wallflower who refuses to be shamed. And this is one of the most delightful things about My Best Friend's Wedding, that our heroine is so despicable and does truly horrendous, awful, downright mean things. You can easily forgive if these things are done by accident, but Julianne tries to get Kimmy on board to get Michael a job at her father's firm, knowing Michael will hate the idea. When that fails, she goes writes an email to get him fired on Walter Wallace's laptop, which of course gets sent out. Julianne is not your typical rom-com heroine. She's no heroine at all, really. She's deeply insecure and unsure of what she wants, but she knows she wants Michael enough to be backhanded about it. But when she gets the opportunity to actually tell him the truth, she doesn't. She's a complete coward. And the movie goes from start to finish, knowing Julianne is almost irredeemable and that Julianne should not get her man. Even though as the viewer, we almost expect it. Bass had written the story in the first place so that she wouldn't get her man. But the lack of any happy ever after really didn't sit well with the studio. 
There wasn't pressure for her to get Michael. But surely an attractive 27-year-old food critic should end up with someone. She's Julia Roberts, for Pete's sake. This is where a test audience actually changed the movie for the better. Because in the original ending, Julianne sits alone at Kimmy and Michael's wedding, calls George and a very attractive man played by John Corbett, approaches her, introduces himself as Andy Connolly and eventually agrees to dance with him. As the movie ends, Julianne dances with this handsome stranger, seemingly rewarded for all her previous bad behaviour. And test audiences hated it. They turned on the character of Julianne completely. Not even America's sweetheart Julia Roberts could swathe the opinion. Julianne Potter didn't deserve Andy Connolly. Julianne Potter deserved to be unhappy. Sony Pictures executive John Kelly gave Ron Bass an ultimatum. He had less than 24 hours to fix the ending of the movie. A post-test screening focus group didn't give them any clue how to do it, and Bass and PJ Hogan were flummoxed. The audience was suggesting Julianne deserved to not get a happy ever after. It was very clear, but they still needed to end the movie positively. It seemed like the movie had gone too easy on its unlikely heroine, and not just the ending needed fixing. After everything Julianne had done, Kimmy had ultimately just forgiven her. There was no climactic confrontation in the toilets at Comiskey Park. A series of reshoots were planned, first of all between Kimmy and Julianne, where Cameron Diaz utters the immortal line, you kissed him at my parents' house on my wedding day, as if we needed to be reminded of how low Julianne had stooped. This gave Kimmy not only some real agency, but also made us, the audience, aware of her strength, that she loved her man despite her tender age, and that she wasn't going to sit back and let Julianne treat them like this. I mean, let's be honest, Michael is no Keanu Reeves here. He's pretty selfish in his treatment of Kimmy and her education and career prospects, but I digress. But the ending was the major change. No one wants to see Julia Roberts alone and miserable at the end of a non-rom-com. So what do you do? How do you give this character the ending she deserves in a film about her best friend getting married to someone else? And how you fix it is you bring in her actual best friend and you tease the conversation via phone call as it's revealed George is at the wedding, having shown up in person to sweep her off to the dance floor. And although you're quite correctly sensed that he is gay, like most devastatingly handsome single men of his age are, you think, what the hell? Life goes on. Maybe there won't be marriage. Maybe there won't be sex, but by God, they'll be dancing. And ultimately, this is a movie about love. It may not be romantic love, but you can love someone wholeheartedly as a person, as a friend. The love Julianne has for George surpasses any love she actually had for Michael. And speaking of love, let's move on to the obligatory Keanu reference of this episode. So the obligatory Keanu reference is a part of this podcast where I try and link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And interestingly, I have a pact with Keanu that if we're not married by the time we're 28, we'd marry each other. Unfortunately, I'm still waiting and I have been waiting for a little bit. I mean, if you did have a marriage pact with Keanu, you would do everything in your power to make that marriage pact come true, wouldn't you? Let's talk about the music because this is a movie where the music is so important and the score especially, the James Newton Howard score for My Best Friend's Wedding was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Musical or Comedy Score. And as I said, this is, to all intents and purposes, a pseudo-musical with the music of Burt Bacharach and Hal David prescient throughout including tracks like I Say a Little Prayer, Wishing and Hoping, I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself, What the World Needs Now Is Love, and I'll Never Fall in Love Again, all included on the official motion picture soundtrack. 
My Best Friend's Wedding was released in the US on the 20th of June 1997. This date was widely seen as the studio having little faith in the movie, as it was released opposite that summer's potential big blockbuster hit, Batman and Robin. All the focus was on Batman and Robin, all the press was on Batman and Robin, so much so that Julia Roberts' agents suggested she avoid promotion for My Best Friend's Wedding and focus on her next release, Conspiracy Theory, even though that was two months away from actually being released. But while My Best Friend's Wedding opened second after Batman and Robin in the US, it built a strong word of mouth and remained in the US top 10 for six weeks and in the top 15 for 10 weeks, while Batman and Robin dropped further out. My Best Friend's Wedding would go on to gross $127.1 million domestically in the US and $299.3 million worldwide, making it the sixth highest grossing film of 1997 in the US and the eighth highest grossing film of 1997 worldwide. And that's not something you would expect from a non-rom-com, which is essentially what this movie is. It's also a critical success too, unlike many other in this romantic comedy genre, and it still retains a 73% of Rotten Tomatoes. As well as the Oscar nomination for the score, it received three Golden Globe nominations for Best Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical, Best Actress for Julia Roberts and Best Supporting Actor for Rupert Everett. Everett was also nominated for a BAFTA for Best Supporting Actor. There are no official sequels to this movie, even though I'm pretty certain the fans would love to see these characters again, as would I. But the core cast of Julia Roberts, Cameron Diaz, Dermot Mulroney and Rupert Everett did reunite for Entertainment Weekly in 2019 and discussed how the movie had become a pop culture behemoth and how it changed each of them and how much they loved the experience of making it in the hot Chicago summer of 1996. Those videos are available on YouTube if you are interested. And this is a cast that just looks like they just love each other completely. And I'm so here for it because I feel like with a movie like this, you need a cast that just gels with each other and gets on with each other, and works with each other really well. And these four people genuinely seem to adore each other. And I'm really here for that. There were two remakes of My Best Friend's Wedding. There was a Chinese remake in 2016 and a Mexican remake in 2019 as well as a planned stage musical, which was originally due to open in September 2020, but was put on hold due to the coronavirus pandemic. This was going to star singer Alexandra Burke as Julianne Potter, but unfortunately the musical was cancelled completely in June 2021. So as of now, there will not be a My Best Friend's Wedding musical, but who knows, it might be resurrected at some point. Right, let's find out what people think about this movie. So I like to ask on social media, I like to start with the patrons and then I move over to Twitter, Instagram and Facebook if there are any. So let's start with the patrons of this podcast and we're going to start with Luke. And Luke says, My very own best friend went to see this film with her then boyfriend in 1997 and I'm not entirely sure whether it was something to do with the film or not. When the film was over, they were no longer together. My best friend's wedding feels like such a unique film because no matter how many times I watch it, I seem to see it from a different perspective. I sometimes feel sorry for Julianne, and other times I just want to throttle her. Sometimes I think Michael is leading Julianne on, and sometimes I think he's just being totally straight with her. Sometimes I think Kimmy is really sweet, and sometimes she seems like a little brat. I think it speaks to Julia Roberts' performance that makes this film so rewatchable. She's really likeable, and then seriously unlikable, and her comic timing is superb. Cameron Diaz is just perfect as a romantic rival to Julianne, and Rupert Everett at his very best and an absolute delight. As much as the film could be closely associated with Burt Bacharach songs, 
One of my favourite things about my best friend's wedding is James Newton Howard's score. When Julianne and Michael are on a boat, they're talking about how if you love someone, you should tell them, or the moment just passes you by. The music swells to what should be a romantic crescendo, but ends up petering out, and I never fail to get a lump in my throat as Julianne cannot bring herself to say the words. It's probably one of my favourite scores, and perhaps because it was composed for a romantic comedy, it's not given the credit it deserves. I think this film really stands the test of time, and although it might be an anti-romantic comedy as, spoiler alert, the girls can get the guy at the end, I enjoy it so much, and it's one of those films I can watch over and over again. And thankfully, despite the potential harm this film may have done 20 odd years ago, my own best friend is happily married now. Phew. And that's a really good point about that particular scene on the boat, because in any other movie, that would be where they kiss, they have this romantic moment together, but the moment just passes them by. And that happens so often in real life when you just want to say that one thing to that one person and you miss your moment. And once you miss your moment, that's it. And we also have a patron comment from perennial commenter Andy. And Andy says, This movie is very much a product of its era, the mid-90s rom-com. While it spins the tropes that the bride-to-be isn't the beast that most films would make her out to be, this movie lives and dies on the same little Claire scene and just further proves that Rupert Everett deserved better. Which, to be honest, I can't disagree with. The Rupert Everett really deserved to have a huge career in Hollywood. And he did star in several rom-coms after this movie. But for some reason, he never really got his dues in Hollywood. And based on this movie alone, Rupert Everett deserved to be a huge comedic star. And it never kind of happened for him. And it's really sad. But, you know, at least he got a friend for life in Julia Roberts. I mean, what more could you want? And what I like to do is if a patron has a podcast, I'd just like to mention their podcast and give it a bit of a plug. Andy's podcast is called Geek Salad. And they basically talk about all things geeky, movies, music, games. They've recently been going through the music of 1992, which has been actually quite a lot of fun to reminisce about music that I listened to when I was a child. And now they're talking about all of that music and it's really bringing it back that, wow, the music of the 90s was really good, actually. So I've put some information in the show notes about Geek Salad. Please have a listen to Andy's podcast. It's so much fun. And they're a wonderful group of guys and they really do genuinely deserve your ears. Moving over to Twitter, there is a distinct lack of comments for my best friend's wedding, which is really surprising because when I posted towards the end of last year that I'd rewatched the movie for the first time in a little while, I've got so many comments on Twitter saying, this is my favourite movie, I love this movie. And I don't know whether people just didn't see the tweet asking for comments or not, but only ended up with two comments over on Twitter. And the first is at DW Lundberg, who said, I love my best friend's wedding. The movie that finally made me fall for Julia Roberts, playing such a vile, petty character with redeemable qualities. You buy her friendship with Mulroney. Diaz is great because she's not just a pushover. And the bittersweet ending with Everett really sells it. And at Fabflix, who said, I think Julia Roberts' character is a selfish B-word in this film and most unlikable. You're not wrong. Although... I can't say the B word on this podcast. So I had to say B word, not the actual B word that you said. Uh, <laughs> so sorry about that. But clean language podcast. No comments over on Instagram or Facebook this time round. But despite the lack of comments, thank you to everyone who did take the time to comment. Because I know this is a fan favourite movie. I guess people just didn't want to comment on this one. But never mind, these things happen. I'm not a rom-com fan. 
I really never have been. There's only a handful that I would choose to watch and then choose to watch again and again. As most standard rom-coms go, I watch them once and then I will never see them again. But My Best Friend's Wedding just spoke to me. I loved this movie immediately as soon as I saw it. And I saw it on VHS. I even did have a marriage pact with a friend. Genuinely. (laughs) This is embarrassing. Except ours was for when we turned 30. We never did get married, obviously. And if you are listening, Chris, yes, I remember our marriage pact. You've probably forgotten. But I have not forgotten our marriage pact. But yeah, moving on from my very embarrassing marriage pact that was based off this movie. But from the pastel pink opening titles, I'm just instantly transported to a world where literally no one in this story, apart from George, who actually seems to have a stable relationship and personal life, has their stuff together. It actually gives me so much hope. And yes, I have used the I've got moves you've never seen line. And yes, it works. But again, yeah, I seem to have taken a lot of my personal life from this movie. But seriously, everyone in this movie has issues, pretty much. Julianne is practically irredeemable. Michael is selfish, inappropriate and flies off the handle at a moment's notice. And Kimmy is a remarkably dark character for someone so seemingly bubbly and sunny. Kimmy is given far more agency than any other movie would give the other woman, in inverted commas, in this love triangle. Kimmy is more than willing to give up school and her career for this older man, a man she's so desperate to please. And if you think about it, she's a 20-year-old woman, but she also acts like a 20-year-old woman. But this cements Cameron Diaz as an absolute force to be reckoned with. She has excellent comic timing and this trademark smile that makes you believe two years later she could be the titular Mary that there's something about. Romantic comedies are supposed to be about love conquering all and finding your happily ever after. And any other movie would make Julia Roberts not only the picture-perfect woman, but also have her end up with a guy at the end. My Best Friend's Wedding is better than that. It knows its characters are deeply flawed and complex individuals. And that love doesn't conquer all. It actually conquers these characters and it beats them into submission. It might be a cheery musical comedy, but fizzling beneath the surface are these deeply broken, insecure characters who probably shouldn't actually be getting married. Definitely not Julianne when she desperately proposes to Michael, and certainly not Michael and Kimmy, even though they do in the end and Julianne toasts to them. I love this movie for its deeply flawed characters, its bubbly exterior, and the misery, the exquisite tragedy, the Susan Hayward of it all. It contains within it a fundamental truth. If you love someone... You say it. You say it right then, out loud. Otherwise, the moment just passes you by. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on my best friend's wedding. Get involved and help this podcast grow. If you love this podcast, don't let the moment pass you by. To get involved and to have your comments read out in episodes, simply comment on the thoughts posts that go up on social media, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. It's usually on a Saturday. Leave a comment on those posts and I will read it out. It's that simple. I have patrons who support this podcast financially, but you can support this podcast without paying a single penny. You can help this podcast reach more people by doing something like telling your friends or family about this podcast. You can also retweet or like posts on social media. I am on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. Or you could leave a rating or review wherever you find this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, or Spotify. And if you like this episode on My Best Friend's Wedding, you might also like one of the following previous episodes of this podcast. 
I've chosen episode 40, Bridesmaids, because, well, there's also a wedding in there and it's also really funny. And it's also quite subversive as well. And I'm a huge fan of Paul Feig. I'm a huge fan of Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph and Melissa McCarthy and such a wonderful, talented cast of women in that movie. And it's a movie that I think does not get its dues, mainly because it was cited as the female hangover when it came out. It's better than The Hangover. Bridesmaids is an absolutely wonderful movie. Please give it a watch if you've not seen Bridesmaids because you'll find it hilarious. And absolutely listen to episode 40. I've also chosen episode 51, Down With Love, which again is a romantic comedy, but it harkens back to the no-sex comedies of the 50s and 60s. It's got charming performances by Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger. It's got wonderful cinematography, amazing costumes. It's just so beautifully done. It's one of the most beautiful romantic comedies that I think I've ever seen in my life. And it's mostly because it's filmed in that pseudo-technicolor way that the movies were done in the 50s and 60s. Sort of like those old Doris Day Rock Hudson movies. And I really love Down With Love. And again, it's a movie that's not given its dues, I think, because it's a romantic comedy. But it's different. It's unique. And then episode 124, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. It's not really a romantic comedy. It's about the love between two friends and about peer pressure and about how we are perfect just as we are. But we take other people's opinions about us and we try and change ourselves based on those opinions. But Romeo and Michelle is a super fun movie focused on these women. And basically, I just really wanted to recommend episodes that are kind of more focused on women and female characters and really great female characters as well. So I would recommend all three of those movies and all three of those episodes as well. Obviously, as always, give me feedback. Let me know if you think I got it right. Next episode. So completely different to my best friend's wedding. I'm going to be talking in the next episode about The Crow. So The Crow is a comic book movie, came out in 1994, and it's got a history that often dwarfs the film itself. Because the lead actor of The Crow, Brandon Lee, died tragically on set eight days before the movie finished filming. So the fact this movie was finished at all is impressive enough. But then it essentially has an entire, albeit less successful, franchise based off this movie. You would think that on-set safety would be improved in the years after 1994. And then just last year, the tragic death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins, who was fatally shot on the set of Rust. So next episode, I'm going to go into the history and legacy of The Crow and of Brandon Lee's short but very eventful life. So please come back and join me for that movie. I'm very excited to be talking about The Crow. As I mentioned earlier, I do have patrons who support the show financially. You're under no obligation to join them. But if you do want to support this show, you can go to verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon and you can join the wonderful patrons of Verbal Diorama. They are Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Mark, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Ian D and Jason. Forever and ever, you'll stay in my heart and I will love you. You can check out my merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch where you can buy the Mummy-inspired t-shirts and you can also support this podcast as well, whilst also looking like an adventurer, an explorer, a treasure seeker or a librarian. If you want to get in touch, you can go to verbaldiorama at gmail.com and you can send me an email or verbaldiorama.com and you can fill out the contact form. 
And I also write bits and pieces for filmstories.co.uk. So you can check out articles that I've written and you can also buy copies of the magazine that I also write in. And finally, here we go. Just don't know what to do with myself Don't know just what to do with myself I'm so used to doing everything with you Planning everything for two And now that we're through I just don't know what to do with my time I'm so lonesome for you, it's a crime Going to a movie only makes me sad Parties make me feel as bad when I'm not with you I just don't know what to do Like a summer rose meets the sun I need your sweet love to beat all the pain I just don't know what to do with myself I just don't know what to do with myself Baby, if your new love ever turns you down I don't know what else to do Like a summer rose Meets the sun and rain I need your sweet love To beat all the pain I don't know just what to do with myself I don't know just what to do with myself Baby, if your new love ever turns you down Come on back, I will be around Just waiting for you I don't know what else to do No, 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 I don't know what else to do Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs>